0: We're going to finish up the book of Genesis today. This is our last study in Genesis. It's been 62 studies. This is our 60-second study in Genesis. So that took, there's 52 weeks in a year, but we took some breaks for some other stuff in between there. So a year and a half, we've been in Genesis, and it's. I'm so thrilled to have finished it. It's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, and we're going to do the chapter 50 today, and then the second half of the service, we have a couple of videos that's actually a, re- a review of the entire book. All right. And then you may even have a chance to share what what part really ministered to you today, to all of us. So be thinking about that. What part of Genesis really uh, spoke to you, maybe changed your life, maybe brought a new perspective. Uh, So this is kind of a retrospective day uh, for us in the book of Genesis. But we do have a bit of a Bible study. Uh, We're going to get through chapter 51st. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you in, in humility, Lord, trusting that you have a word for us. Uh, Lord, I've even heard uh, some people have had major trials this week. Um, our family, I know, we've had some trials. It's been difficult. Um, just the things that you've put in our life have 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 been tough this week, Lord. And Lord, we know that you love us so much, and none of the things that you bring into our lives are to destroy us, but Lord, they're to break down our our self-dependency our trusting in our own flesh, Lord, and we desire to be free from trusting ourselves, Lord, to only trust you, Jesus, for all our life, whether that's school and, and learning or, if, or it's our jobs or it's our home life, our families. Lord, we need you so much to control us, to change us and make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So good to see you guys. Let's uh, let's dive in. The The sermon's title today is called The End of the Beginning, which I have to say is my favorite sermon title that I've ever come up with because Genesis means the beginning, the end. Oh, it just works on so many levels. I love it. So chapter 50, verse 1. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants... The physicians to embalm his father, so they embalmed Israel. If you didn't know, Israel just died. If you didn't know that, you probably thought this was kind of weird, but Israel did die. That's why Jacob is, or Joseph is crying over his father Jacob. So he is dead, being embalmed. Verse 3 40 days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed, and the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. Now, when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. Uh, Isn't it interesting that he dug his own grave? How many of you have ever thought about digging your own grave? That would be an interesting uh, way of living, an interesting time in, in the world where we had to dig your own grave. But he was pretty excited about this grave. He certainly wanted to be buried there. We looked at all the reasons for that last week. Verse 6, And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father and he went up with all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, his father's house, only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds they left in the land of Goshen and they, and there all excuse me, verse nine, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad which is beyond the Jordan. And they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of the mourning of his father. And when the inhabitants of the land of Canaan saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Abel Mizraim, which means mourning of the Egyptians, which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him just as he commanded them, for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father." Okay, so that was a big chunk, and I read it all as one chunk so that we could get the big idea that Joseph was mourning for his dad. And so what we're going to talk about a little bit is that death is terrible. Who would agree? Anyone think death is great? I mean, you see someone die. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> you see someone die, and generally it's a bummer. I mean, not, not just a bummer, but incredibly awful to see, especially death, untimely death. Um, you know, I was in Thailand on a mission trip, and I did see someone get run over by a car and die. And it was one of the most horrendous things. I mean, they have—I know you've seen the traffic in Thailand videos where it's just like they have thousands of cars, and the, and just this car, this motorcycle went out, and this car just ran right over him. And it was—it was rough. I mean, I was like, I was pretty devastated by seeing that you know death makes us cry you know even when people die in old age we're bummed out about that Um, it stirs up the most powerful emotions in us as human beings and it's God's will right now that this world has death in it it's part of his world that we live in right now we brought it in but it's going to be here until God makes a new world But God's love is better than death. He conquers and destroys death. See, love is also powerful. Death, it's very powerful. No one can escape it. But God's love is also very powerful. And when love and death collide, we can get some amazing fireworks. And we call these fireworks mourning. Mourning. Joseph, here in this portion of scripture, he teaches everyone around him, including the Egyptians, including the world, what love looks like through his mourning. Joseph loved and loves his father so much. And because of that love, it breaks his heart to be separated from the one that he loves it absolutely devastates him to be disconnected from him. He knows deep down inside that it shouldn't be that way, that death is wrong. Death is an enemy that needs to be beaten. Something about this just isn't right. It rubs in the wrong way. And mourning is the correct response to this separation. It's okay to mourn. If no one has ever told you that, It is now declared to you. It is okay to mourn. It's not just okay, it's healthy. It's wonderful to mourn. It explains, it shows, it demonstrates what real love is. Now, Jesus shows us that it was okay to mourn. He mourned. And that's in John chapter 11. So if you guys would turn with me to John chapter 11, keep your finger there in Genesis. We'll be back in just a minute. But in John chapter 11, verse 35, we have the story of Jesus' friend, probably one of his best friends, Lazarus, gets sick and dies. All right? So Jesus waits four days, but after he's died, and then he shows up at the home and Mary and Martha, and you know the whole story. And Jesus shows up, and, and his, his friend had died. And when he looked around, it says in verse 35, Jesus <clears throat> wept, John eleven thirty five. That's the shortest verse in the Bible, but one of the most powerful. Jesus wept, verse 36 says, and then the Jews said, see how he loved him. In America, we are men. We wear cowboy boots and belt buckles, and we do not cry when something bad happens. We do not cry at death, but Jesus did. Jesus allowed himself to be soft in that point. He let himself mourn because what? He loved him. And even the Jews who saw it, they said, see how he loved him. Verse 37, and some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Wow, that's a great question. And when we deal with death and mourning, we must ask that question. It's a great question. There's a reason why it's put right there. If Jesus loves so much and he's so powerful to open the eyes of the blind, why can't he just keep people from dying? So Jesus demonstrates love by mourning. He taught the people around him what the right way to respond to death and separation is. So why doesn't God just stop death from happening? I mean, he could. Can we all not agree that God could snap his fingers and all death and suffering would go away? So what does that mean? Does that mean God is mean up in heaven? Just like, oh, I love all this death. I love when my children suffer. Is that really what we think? There are people in the world who think that way, that they think that that's what God is like. Is that the truth? No. God is not a meanie face, as my kids would say. How many times have you heard when people are talking about God or keep, people are struggling with death, they say, if, if he were good, if God loved me, he would have kept blank from dying. But that's why I choose to not follow God is because he let my mom die. He let my dad die. My brother died young. My friend, my neighbor, whatever the situation is, we blame God for the death. So the question, why didn't Jesus keep Lazarus from dying? Well, first, to answer this question, let's ask a different question. Why do people die? That's a good question. God Well, the answer is easy. It's because of original sin. God warned the first couple that if they, you remember what their names were, right? Adam and Eve, good. So just to say that you've been paying attention for the last 61 studies, I needed to know that to see if I'd been successful in this entire book of Genesis. Well, Adam and Eve, God warned them and said, breaking his law, transgressing, eating the forbidden fruit would result in death. Well-taught church. (laughs) This is what happened. And even in Romans, he said the wages of sin is death. Okay. So they sentenced us all to experience physical death when they broke God's law. They passed down this virus of death through their blood, through their genes, to every single human that's ever been born. And people must die. Must die. Must die on account of sin, or God is not just. He said, this is the penalty. You sin, death is the penalty. It it, it would be, you know, people who complain about death are like people who would say, um, a judge cannot follow through with his sentence. Let's say a man murders a 100 people. He goes before the judge, and the judge says, You are guilty. I sentence you to death. And then the judge says, Ah, never mind, you're fine. No. That's unacceptable. That judge would be beaten in the streets because he's an unjust judge. He would lose his job. He would be now the one guilty of the hundred murders because he let the guilty party walk free without any sort of uh, retribution, without any sort of punishment. So when someone says, oh, God's so mean for making us die, they're saying that. Why doesn't God just let everyone go? Just let everyone not have the penalty of their sin. He cannot do that. Or he would cease to be a just God. And we do not want that. Because if he's not a just God, that's a world we don't want to live in. That's a world where God, even if you called upon him for mercy, he would not send his son, Jesus. He would provide nothing for you. He would just mess with you. He would just do things to make your life awful. But that's not the God we have. We have a just God who demands that we die on account of So we get back to the main question. Why didn't Jesus keep Lazarus from dying? And the answer is because he did not want to stop or disagree with God's righteous decree that all men should die on account of their sin. But, but, Jesus finds this sneaky way around that. And what is that? It's the word resurrection resurrection. He allows death to happen. He lets the punishment have its place. So God is still just. But then Jesus supernaturally gives life back to someone who was dead. That's what Jesus does right there. And God is glorified by this miraculous resurrection. And God is glorified by judging sin and letting them die. He's glorified double, two times glorified. And only Jesus can perform such resurrections. Only Jesus can. Jesus, as we know, would go on to raise Lazarus from the dead, and many people came to know God's love and power through that situation. They were excited about it. Lazarus would be a huge testimony to how much God loves and his power that he actually can raise someone from the dead. So when people wonder about how god can allow people to die we can boldly declare that death is not the problem anymore we can say that death doesn't mean what it once did it doesn't have to be the end when you're with jesus when jesus is in the room when jesus is at the party death is not invited so God can be right to punish sin and death for we're all under that curse, but he can also be loving and give life to all that would remain and believe and have faith in his son, the author and giver of life, he's called. So he can just give that life to whoever he wishes. Now in Second First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4.13, there's a wonderful verse and I'll read it to you. It says, 1 Thessalonians 4:13 But I do not want you to be ignorant brethren that means please don't be stupid about this. It's my translation. Concerning those who have fallen asleep or died lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. You see cuz death is beaten we have hope. And what that means is because Jesus died and rose again, he proved now that death is just a shadow. It doesn't actually kill us anymore. I mean, our bodies die, but us, we are not affected by death the way that it happened at the beginning. The grave is not the end. For those who are in Christ, for those who are united to Jesus in his life, it's like a seed being planted in the ground. The Spirit lives on, and it will be raised again with a new body and a new life forever to be with God. So our sorrow and our mourning must be in line with all of these realities. And when death comes into our life, and it will, your parents will die, your children may die, people will die. And when those things happen, we need to let these things become a reality. We need to meditate on what God is doing in the seed and the body and the eternal spirit, all these different things. We can't think that we'll never see our brothers and sisters who die in the Lord. We just say goodbye for a little while. And and God's love is the thing that makes that possible. Well, how do I know his love? Well, I can see it all over the face of Jesus. His mourning, when Jesus wept over Lazarus, it shows me the heart of God. And those tears of Jesus, they water my understanding, which then grows so I can trust and know him more. It waters my heart and my soul. When I look at how Jesus responded to death, it frees me and gives me the right to mourn the right way it helps me to say i can mourn i can be sorry for the separation but my trust is in the lord and his love will bring a resurrection see jesus wept even though he knew what he was going to do five minutes later he knew in five minutes he was going to call lazarus out lazarus would come stumbling out and everyone would be like, oh my goodness but he still wept which means it's okay for us to weep, to be sad, and also to rejoice at the same time. It's weird, but we're weird people. Look now, we're going to continue on this chapter, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph. They don't even come to him themselves. They send messengers saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass of your servants of um, the God of your father. And and the next verse is so important. I want you to underline it or see it. it says, and Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Joseph weeps when he learns that his brothers still do not trust him or know his character. Joseph loves his brothers. They're so dumb. (laughs) They have wronged him so many ways, but he has demonstrated that he loves them, and he's never given them a reason to think otherwise he loves them and he would do anything for them anything including provide for their needs he brought them down and said i will provide for your needs he'll provide everything for them but they don't trust it they don't trust how much he loves them you know this is kind of messed up what they do they, 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 they make up this story and then saying, oh, um, this this dad, our dad, our father, he wanted us to tell you that, that you should forgive us. And I find that this way of thinking crept into the church, saying, if you if you want to be right with God, you need to have this other person intercede for you. And I think that kind of attitude and heart, it breaks the heart of God. Because Jesus says. I'm your intercessor. I'm the one who loves you. I'm the one that's providing for everything you need. Why do you need to go through another man? Don't. It breaks my heart. This is personal for Jesus. He wants to be the one who saves you. He is your savior. He is the only intercessor between God and man. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. No priest can Go to the father and say, please forgive this person. They didn't know what they meant. That doesn't work. God says, each man must come to me and I deal with them alone. Between me, the son of God, and that person. That's how it works. It never changes. Well, this reminds me of another time when Jesus wept. In fact, the only other time that we learn of Jesus weeping. And that's in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 verse 41 through 44. And this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry, and it's one week before he dies. And one week before Jesus dies, Jesus weeps another time. You know, the first time was with Lazarus, and we see that that was about the morning, and we see that at the beginning of chapter 50 of Genesis, and now we move fast forward to Jesus' end of his ministry, and the second part of the chapter uh, of 50 of Genesis, we see this other weeping, over people not understanding the heart of God. And now look in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. As he drew near to the city of Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. So Jesus, he's walking along the path. He knows he's got one week. He's going to die. He's going to give his life as a sacrifice. And, he, and as, he, as he crosses over the Mount of Olives, and as you, I've done this, as you step over the Mount of Olives and you see the city of Jerusalem, his heart was overcome with emotion, and he wept. Why? Well, let's read on. Verse 42, saying, If you had known, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close in on you on every side and level you and your children with, within you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know this time of your visitation. They should have known, this, this people, these Jews, these brothers should have known that he was there to take care of them that jesus was showing up on that day to take care of them and that he loved them they should have known his character he spent three years talking to all of them about god's love and who he was and what happened on this day on this day the day of their visitation jesus shows up and he says i need a donkey So he gets a donkey and he rides into Jerusalem on this donkey and a portion of the people believe and say, Hosanna, this is the Messiah. This is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And he is announced as the Messiah. And he receives that that announcement. He says, yeah, worship me. I'm the Messiah. He rolls on into town and, and it faded away really quick. Very soon, it was just him and the disciples again. They didn't really connect it. They didn't really believe because they were expecting the Messiah to be this glorious king. And Jesus shows up poor, weak, and seemingly ready to die. And all of their minds are like, "Eh, this is a big letdown. We wanted a king that would overthrow this horrible Roman government that's around us. So, But they should have known his character. They should have known that he was a suffering Messiah. They should have known he was willing to do what they needed. They should have known. The brothers should have known Joseph's heart, right? What has Joseph done to confuse them? When did they ever think Joseph was there to destroy them? But their sin confuses them. Their sin tricks them into thinking, God's my enemy. Joseph is my enemy. Jesus is here to save us, not condemn us. That's what we need to learn there. God doesn't get angry when people don't understand who he is. No, he doesn't get angry. He he cries. It breaks his heart when people don't understand who he is. He's done everything possible to explain who he is and how he feels and how he thinks. And people can know him if they want. You know how? Pick up their Bible and read about Jesus. That's how. Anyone can do it and know. I loved when Danny was up here sharing his testimony and he's like, I knew nothing about God. I picked up the Bible and read it and I knew God. He got saved by just reading the Gospels. He learned who God's character was and he believed. Every person can do that same thing. Verse 18, Then the brothers also went and fell down before his face and said, Behold, we are your servants. So now these brothers, they see the heart of Joseph and they actually just respond with humility. And so will you, when you spend time and learn his heart, you will also grow in humility. It'll break you down. It'll throw down your defenses and you will respond with the same desire to serve. That's, what, that's how we create servants for the Lord. It's not, my, not by classes or, or, or pleas to get you to serve, but by just explaining Jesus Christ to you, who his character is, and what that does. It produces people who just say, whatever, I'm just your servant. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Verse 19, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I, am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, But God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. That is the summary of the book of Genesis. You meant it for evil, but God, he means things for good to save many people. People are basically awful, but God is always loving them anyway. That's what we've learned through all of Genesis. That's like the main point. His son will eventually be the way that this truth becomes a reality in the whole world to every person on this planet. Jesus is the, is the piece that makes Genesis make sense, right? How many times have we talked about Jesus as we've been looking in the book of Genesis? Every single week. Verse 21, now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted and spoke kindly to them. This is that heart of God on display through Joseph. Joseph is a perfect, wonderful image for us of Jesus Christ himself. We've seen that so many times. And here yet again, he says, I will provide I'm the source of your grace. I will give you what you need. And he comforts and he speaks kindly. This is the heart of God just on display for us to see. Verse 22, so Joseph dwelt in Egypt, and he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. And the children of Machir, the sons of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. And so Joseph died being a 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So the book ends, Woo! we did it, we did it, all right. The book ends, that's right, with Joseph dying and being put in a coffee, not coffin, coffee, (laughs) that's where my mind is on right now, Uh, being put in a coffin, not being buried. So the people of Israel and Moses, about 250 years later, will end up carrying this coffin to the promised land. And during this time, there will be a lot of difficulty. During the next couple hundred years, there's going to be a lot of trials for these people. And during all this difficulty, they're going to be seeing this coffin sitting in the middle of their camp. And they'll think, all right, there's a promise from God. We can't bury this old guy. He made us promise that we'll bury him in the promised land. God has promised to take us out. And this coffin becomes a picture to all the people as they grow up, generation after generation. And you end up with over a million people when they leave. And they still have this coffin right in the middle of everybody. And so death can be a reminder for us as well. That even though we aren't there yet in our promised land, that God has promised us that he will take us home as well. And so we kind of began talking about death. We'll end up talking about death. um, But really, now it's going to be a story of how God brings life. So as we go into the book of Exodus, I don't know when we'll do that. And I'm not saying that that's our next book because it's not. um, We will see the continuation of the story of how God is going to continue to prepare this people. So that's our our study in Genesis. We are done. We have finished it. I've been faithful to bring the Word of God, and I'm very excited about that.